studies in 1 Corinthians, if you'll turn with me to chapter 13. And uh, <clears throat> next week, Peter will be speaking on the permanence of love. We look forward to that message. Today we're talking about the qualities of love. And we want to read from verses 4 to 7. Reading from the New International Version. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Well, we know that from reading our New Testament that the Apostle Paul loved his children. And boy, he had lots of children, didn't he? Lots of Christian children all over the, the Asian area. And he wanted them, there's something he really wanted for them from his heart. He wanted them to grow to maturity in Christ. And uh, in Galatia, for example, at chapter 4, verse 19, Paul, though, had a problem. He said, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. So some of the churches that Paul planted flourished and did really well and he had lots of praise for them. Others had various problems. Galatia was one and obviously Corinth is, a number, is another. And I just want you to consider three words for status, formed, conform and transformed. And we've read form there in Galatians 4. And if we read now Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, was just so keen, so passionate to see Christ formed in them and that they would be mature Christians and that they wouldn't, any longer conform to the pattern of this world. There's one translator who, who's put it this way, don't let the world squeeze you into its mould. Isn't that a wonderful thought? The world is putting pressure on you. It's putting pressure on us all the time to try and make us be like them. But we're different. We're a, a, a square peg, if you like, that won't go into a round hole. We're different. And... God wants us to be transformed. And uh, the word here is uh, for formed is morphu, and for, to be transformed it's uh, metamorphos, which when we think of a, uh, like a, a tadpole turning into a frog, for example, there's this dramatic change. And uh, a larvae turning into a butterfly, it's a dramatic change. And God wants us to be from this inward uh, transformation of our hearts towards him and that shows forth in our outward behavior. So let's start off by looking at this thought, love is patient and 
The concept here is of long-suffering. Now, the New International translates it uh, patient. The authorised version, I think, has got suffereth long. That's a really good translation because that's the context of this word patience is long-suffering. And these first two here about love is patient and love is kind, it's just such a wonderful description of, of God himself. That's what God is like. God is patient and God is kind. Now last week we were on boys camp, Kennehy boys camp down at uh, Jeffrey White's farm. And by the way, if you'd like to see some photos of the camp, Jeffrey's got a, a photo album with him today, some lovely photos of the boys camp. And just thinking of patience, it was quite, uh, quite a challenge in all the activities we ran, all the boys wanted to be first. I'm first. You're not. Get out of my way. I'm first. And there just wasn't any patience there. They were all wanting to be first in these various activities. When we see in our Old Testament, for example, in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 30, speaking of the Lord, and this is Nehemiah's wonderful prayer, and he says, uh, For many years you were patient with them, meaning Israel. By your spirit you admonished them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention, so you handed them over to the neighbouring peoples. So for years, for decades, for a huge length of time, God was just so patient with his people, wanting them to turn back to him and give up their stubbornness, but they wouldn't. So finally, he, they were handed over to the neighbouring peoples. In First Peter, we read um, about the days of Noah, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. And also in Second Peter, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And the Bible is just full of so many wonderful verses about the patience and kindness of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 6 brings forth this, this thought of long-suffering. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And now one that applies to us if we find in Ephesians chapter 4 what God wants in us, be completely humble and gentle. This is talking about our interaction, our love for one another. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So patience is a, a really important quality of love. It goes beyond a human level, doesn't it? Human patience has its limits, but Christian patience goes way beyond that. Love is kind. Love is kind. Well, what do we think about when we think about kind? I think about words like understanding, thoughtful, considerate, accommodating, gentle, merciful, and not harsh. That's the kind of words that come to my mind when I think about kindness. And I guess the, the wonderful example that I think of anyway in, in Scripture is the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. What a heart of kindness that man had. What a, what a true neighbour he was to that poor man who'd been beaten up and robbed, as we find in Luke chapter 10. 
And he would have known, as he, as the Good Samaritan came to that injured man, that injured man couldn't pay him back. He had nothing to offer him. He couldn't reward him or do anything for him. But the kindness of that Good Samaritan was outside of or beyond any wanting something back. And so often uh, love in the world today is conditional. It's, I'll, I'll love you if you will love me back and if you can give some, me something back. But the, the love, the kindness in the Bible, it's an unconditional love. It's a love in spite of the other person and their ability to, to repay. The Corinthians, in terms of Paul, his relationship with the Corinthians, in chapter 4, at verse 13, Paul said, When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Can you imagine that? What a challenge. Here's this wonderful man of God. He's put, put his heart into raising his Corinthian children, and some of them are slandering him. And what is his reaction? Does he flare up and fight back? He says, we answer kindly. In Galatians 5 and 22, as we've heard, of course, the fruit of the Spirit. And what is it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. And a verse I'd like to read in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7, it says, speaking of God, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Wow, isn't that fantastic? The person of God, and he's uh, poured out his grace upon us, his kindness shown to us in what? In, in Christ Jesus. So when God gave his son to die on the cross, it was an act of his kindness towards us as the human race. And the coming day, that will be on display. The whole universe will see the grace of God, the power of God, the kindness of God, and God will be proved to be right after all. Now we come to the next section, and we it's almost as if Paul is now firing off a series of bullets at the Corinthians, seven in a row. It's almost like a machine gun. Pow, pow, pow. And there's seven points here that seem to relate very, very closely to the Corinthian situation. Problems of envy, boasting, pride, rudeness, self-seeking, anger, and bitterness. So we'll try and identify how these points relate to the problems at Corinth. First of all, love, it does not envy. The idea I want you to think of here is something that's burning or boiling. And the concept here could be of good. It could be like the Bible encourages us to have a passionate zeal for Christ, to be on fire for God, to be burning up for him. That's good. It's a, it's a passionate zeal. On the other hand, it could be bad. It could be burning with envy or boiling with jealousy. And in the Corinthian church, for example, in chapter 3, Paul said to them, at verse 3, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? 
For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? So envy was obviously a problem in the Corinthian church. And I'm sure that as Paul, uh, as the Corinthians read this letter from Paul, they would have felt uh, the impact of his words. And they thought, oh, that's us. Oh, yes, we've got a problem with envy. Oh, patience. Oh, yes, we've got a problem with patience. Oh, pride, we've got a problem with that. So in some ways, the Corinthian church had become a status-seeking church, worldly and not principally of the Holy Spirit. But love, true love, is happy for others to have status and let them have status and not be envious of that in any possible way. It does not boast. The strong thought here is of bragging, somebody bragging about themselves. And that is just, isn't it, the opposite of Christ-like love? It's just the opposite. In this uh, giving Christ-like love, where we regard self as unimportant and others as more important. Uh, For example, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, we read, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And in our old self, in our worldly self, that really just goes against the grain, doesn't it? It's the opposite, because in the world... We like to be first. We like to be important and we like to be recognized and we consider others less than ourselves. But in the Bible, in this concept of God's love, it is the opposite. The Corinthians were boastful of their status, of their wisdom, of their cleverness, of their their spectacular gifts that they were displaying. The nine sign gifts were on display Uh, when in fact the Corinthians had nothing that the Lord had not given to them. They should have instead regarded themselves as lowly, undeserving, and living in deep gratitude, faith, and love. And in verse 5 we have that terrible situation in the case of sexual immorality where it says some were even proud, some were boasting even in that case. It is not proud. We're still in verse 4. Now the Greek word here is basically puffed up, as if you get the bellows and you're, you're blowing um, air into the fire with the bellows and you're, you're puffing it up, you're puffing something up. Maybe it's uh, if you've got a push bike, you're blowing up your, your inner tube and hoping it's going to stay up. Um, so it's the word puffed up. Love is not inflated with its own importance. And frequently in this letter to the Corinthians, we find cases where people were proud. In chapter 4, verse 6, being puffed up with pride in one man over another. In chapter 4, verse 18, and we've got that here, some of you have become puffed up. As if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I'll find out not only how these puffed up people are talking, but what power they have. 
And in chapter 8, the first three verses, now about food sacrifice to idols. We've covered this. We know that in, that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge, what does it do? Knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. And also on this section, I'd like to read from Colossians chapter 2, because this is really an important one as well. Colossians 2 and 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he's seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. So pride was obviously a problem in Corinth, but Paul is saying love is not proud. Verse 5, love is not rude. Well, what is Paul getting at here? What is this word rude? How is that to be translated? How is that to be understood? It's talking about things that are unseemly or not proper. And here's a definition for you. In things which are in defiance of social and moral standards with resulting disgrace, embarrassment, and shame. And uh, you recall with, uh, Jeff was teaching us from chapter 11. This was an issue. The, the role of men and women, the conduct of men and women and their, their tasks and place within the church was unseemly. Their conduct at the Lord's Supper was improper. It was unseemly. And here's an example of it in that chapter. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? So that's an example of unseemly, rude behavior and conduct within the church at Corinth. That's the kind of thing that Paul would have been thinking of when he says love is not rude. In verse 5, again, it is not self-seeking. Let's think of that for a moment in terms of the believer's freedom. And we cover that in chapter 10. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. And it seems that in Corinth, the believers were really keen on practicing their freedoms. Oh, I can do this. I can do that. doesn't affect me. I can handle it. I'm free. I'm free in Christ. But they weren't thinking of the, the risk of others, the good of others, and the possible risk of stumbling another Christian. So in some sense, their love, their attitude was self-seeking. But a real love is not self-centered. It's willing to lay aside its own desires and comforts, its own rights and freedoms, and to give its own time and resources for the good of others. And surely our Lord Jesus is the supreme example of that. 
He laid aside everything for us. And I'd like to read you from Mark chapter 10 and verses 42 to 45 about our Lord Jesus. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be, become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Who else in the universe had so much to lay aside but the Lord Jesus? As he laid aside his very life for you and for me. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. To begin this section, I'd like to read from Exodus chapter 34 and at verse 6. And this is the Lord himself speaking before Moses. Uh, read at verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children of the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Now that's not my topic of discussion for this morning, but I just want you to identify the fact that God identifies himself as having this quality in love of being slow to anger. Proverbs tells us, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. The authorised version translates here, is not easily provoked. That's great, isn't it? It's a really good translation. In other words, don't flare up, be irritable or touchy. And... Uh, I wonder if you've got a short fuse or a long fuse. What do people say about you? And the idea is, I think, in love, is to make your fuse longer and longer. If you've got a short fuse, get a long piece of string and tie some more on till it's really, really long. In fact, the fuse is so long that uh, if there's anger welling up inside you, you can, you've got time to you know, put some water on the fuse and defuse things before the bomb goes off. And let's, sometimes when we get upset about something, we, we're making a mountain out of a molehill. But if we can get things in perspective, uh, don't react, go home and think about it, things will seem different tomorrow. And James chapter 1 and verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it's easier to remember bad things than good things. 
Isn't that strange? And uh, bad things I can remember for a long time, quite easily. But good things, I think, now, what was that thing that happened? Oh, I've forgotten about that. <laughs> but the Psalms tells us in verse uh, chapter 4, um, In your anger do not sin, and when you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. And that is quoted in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 4. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. And it's just so true, isn't it? How many times do you read the Bible and you think, yes, Lord, that's right on the button. That's exactly true of the human race. It's true of me. It's just so true. And uh, I was thinking how... Love starts a new day without being shackled to yesterday's hurts. <laughs> Think about that. If you were shackled to yesterday's hurts and last month's hurts and 10 years ago hurts, you're gradually getting slowed down and your, your effectiveness in living your Christian life is becoming less and less. I think of um, a tree that sheds its bark. I think that's the next slide, is it? Okay. Have you ever looked at a eucalyptus tree and thought, well, some of the species of eucalyptus, there's about 600 of them, but certain species of eucalyptus tree always look clean. There's no uh, creepers or climbers on them. There's no wounds showing. Uh, there's really nothing in evidence. How on earth do they keep themselves so clean? And, of course, the answer is they keep shedding their bark. They keep shedding layers and layers of bark. So anything that any creeper or climber that clings to that tree is actually just clinging to the outside skin of bark and after a, a year or two it all falls off and the tree looks nice and clean. Well, I thought, what a wonderful thing about being a Christian. If we can just keep shedding hurts and problems and wrongs so we're not keeping a record, we're shedding those things and, and staying clean for the Lord. I was thinking too of a, a blank canvas. You can take... Uh, a picture, and it's full of all sorts of things, and you say, well, that's my life yesterday. And you can see it's got a few smudges on it because somebody spoiled your day and smudged uh, your picture yesterday. And there might be a blot because you did something wrong and it's a blot on your copybook. But today is a blank canvas. It doesn't have to have the blots and smudges of yesterday. Uh, God wants to paint a new picture in your life today and to move on from there. <laughs> so it's just an example. When it comes to, to wrongs or hurts, you may well be right in your assessment of what someone else has done to you. Somebody else did treat you badly. Some, you know, that person has wronged you. They have hurt you. They were in the wrong. But isn't it better to allow yourself to be wronged and not to retaliate, but just to let it go. It's like being thick-skinned, isn't it? And not letting a problem get under your skin. And let's remember, too, that God is keeping, not keeping record of our wrongs. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Wow. <laughs> not counting men's sins against them. Verse 6, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with 
the truth. Thinking about this passage, love does not enjoy gossip about a Christian brother or sister who has fallen or committed some sin. Instead, our reaction should be of grief. And we think of chapter 5 again, where in this case of immorality, where it says, and some of you were proud. But it says here that instead our reaction should be grief, to be filled with grief or mourning or sorrow or shame. So love doesn't enjoy uh, gossip of somebody else's problem. In fact, we should instead have love and concern for the injured part or member of the body. As uh, Mr. Boyens told us in chapter 12, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. One part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. So, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And let's remember too that from God's point of view, God does judge those who delight in evil. In 2 Timothy uh, sorry, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12, and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. So God will judge all of those people. Now as we move on into, to verse 7, it seems like Paul is expanding his horizon. He's not just addressing so much the particular problems of Corinth, but he's talking about all Christians everywhere in all ages. He's talking generally about love. And he says in verse 7, it always protects. And the Greek word here is stego, is indeed to protect or preserve by covering, to keep off something which threatens, to bear up against, and so to endure. That's the concept here of protecting. And I guess the first thought we would have of our Lord Jesus as the Good Shepherd in, chap in John chapter 10, that uh, Jesus the Good Shepherd, he knows his sheep, he loves them, he protects them. If the wolf comes to attack, the Lord Jesus will protect the flock uh, from the wolf's attack. And of course, elders are uh, tasked with the same duty in Acts chapter 20 when, when the Apostle Paul made that emotional farewell to the Ephesian elders and he warned them with tears. <laughs> he warned them with tears to keep watch for savage wolves that will come in to the flock. So there's a very strong element of, of love protecting. Um, but of course, we, we can also protect each other as the flock just by being together. The strength in numbers, isn't there? And uh, just in fellowship and supporting one another, um, praying together and advising each other is protecting each other. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And there's an element of protection and support in that verse. However, this doesn't mean that we, you know, we run around trying to give each other advice all the time. <laughs> that would maybe not be all that welcome. I wonder if you've ever had the experience of some, you know, some well-meaning Christian coming to you and saying, now let me give you a word of advice. And you might think, 
I don't want your advice. <laughs> you know? uh, so let's just be careful the way we, we uh, try and give each other advice. But the Bible does say, doesn't it, there to teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 4 at verse 15, I'd like to read this in relation to it. Instead, speaking the truth in love. And you often find in scripture that truth and love goes together. Lo uh, truth is not just cold and harsh and heartless. Truth is together with love. So instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So we're not isolated, are we? We're not isolated, we're not superior, we're all weak. We're all linked together, we all support one another we look after one another, we look out for one another. Love always protects. And in verse 7, it always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. A love that works, it really, really works. And it lasts the distance, it's tough enough to last under pressure. And I was thinking, as an illustration of this, about a car engine. How you have to put oil in an engine. And what happens if you don't? Well, a church without love is like an engine without oil. There'll be heat, friction, noise. It'll be running rough. I remember in... Uh, it was, must have been 1977, I spent a short time in Papua New Guinea. And uh, one day the missionary said, come with me to the next neighbouring town. So we got in his, I think it was a Toyota Land Cruiser, I can't remember, and we started to drive. Well, the car, the car seemed rather sluggish and he couldn't understand why it didn't seem to be going very well. And after a couple of kilometres, we came to a stop. The engine had seized up, and uh, it turns out the, the car had recently been to the garage for servicing and an oil change. So it seems that uh, somebody forgot to put the oil in. Trust a Toyota to keep going for another couple of kilometres before it seizes up. <laughs> yeah. But um, so oil is just so essential to the running of an engine that the, the metal parts need oil so they, they don't rub together and cause heat and friction and abrasion. And so it is with love, isn't it? We need love in all our interactions and in all the function of the church. And also I think that uh, in terms of oil, some engines are placed under huge stress and they get really, really hot. And you need, if you've got a car, like a racing car, engine, you don't just use an ordinary domestic oil. You've got to put in a high-grade oil that's going to stand the stress and pressure of um, an engine getting really, really hot. So the kind of love we need in the church is that kind of love, a tough 
uh, long-lasting love that's going to last the distance and survive under pressure without breaking down. I guess if we're talking about love, we really can't go past what the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 13 at verse 34. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I wonder if you've ever thought, what's new? How could the Lord Jesus say that? Because the Old Testament is full of the love of God. What's new about this commandment? And we notice the Lord Jesus qualifies his statement by saying, as I have loved you. And I think that's the secret probably to understanding the new, the new commandment. The love that the Lord Jesus has for us was a sacrificial love, even unto death. It was a servant attitude. For example, washing the disciples' feet and taking the very nature of a servant, the, the glorious God of heaven who took the form of a servant. And it's a giving love. And to me, those three qualities, you can probably think of more, that really make the, the love of the Lord Jesus as something new. And he could truly say a new commandment. In Galatians 2 and 20, we read, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Wow. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That giving, sacrificial, servant attitude love of our Lord Jesus. I just feel, what do I really know about love? I've been a Christian for many, many years and I'm still learning about the reality of love. And may we all continue to, to grow, to grow and develop in love for our Lord Jesus and for one another. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, as we read this high, high standard of love, we feel so inadequate and we find it so hard to reach and measure up to that standard. So, Father, we just can only ask for your help, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us to enable us to show that true love that you want us to show. Help us this week, Lord, as we, as we go through our daily tasks and occupations, Lord, that we might remember your love. And we pray and give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.